this morning I have more of a more of a practical word. Um, it's not deep. It's not theological. But it's practical. And my hopes is that somebody would leave this place this morning equipped to go to the next level and to get further with God than they ever thought they would go. I don't know about you, but sometimes we go through stuff in our lives and we don't even necessarily understand why we're going through it. You know, Pastor Brian brought an amazing word last night about when it seems like God's promises fail. And there's times when we go through our walk as Christians and we, we, we feel like we're enduring a storm and we don't understand why we're in the storm, why we're going through the circumstance, why there's so much drama in my life, why there's so much pain and aggravation in my life. So this morning I want to talk about some relationships and the title of my message is Who You Sail With Matters. Who do you have in your boat? Because sometimes you endure a storm because of who's in your boat, not because of what you're doing. I want to talk about relationships this morning because as the years go on, I begin to understand and value and put more of a value on relationships maybe than I did in the past. And I understand the value of good Christian relationships and how it can literally pull you out of some of your darkest days. In the same breath, you can also be the person who pulls somebody else out of their darkest days. But let me say this, the opposite is also true. Because just as much as good relationships are a good thing, being in covenant with people that are running away from the will of God could also cause extra storms and extra drama in your life that you don't necessarily need to endure. I'll start with this because I am talking about relationships this morning and I'm specifically discussing relationships with people. But I have to start with this because there's one relationship that is the most important relationship in your life and that is your relationship with God your relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you want to have the best life, the most blessed life you will ever have in your entire life, wake up in the morning and pray and read the Word and fast 15 hours a day and go to bed and wake up and repeat the same process for 365 days a year, you'll be like Enoch and off you go. <laughs> it would be nice, amen? It's, but how many of you know that's not reality? We live in a real world. We have real jobs. We have real people. This morning is a practical word, and I want to talk about practical things. But the reality is this. The more you spend time with God, the more you begin to take on the image of that which with you spend time with. You are a product of what you surround yourself with. So if I surround myself with God, if I surround myself with the Holy Spirit, I will automatically begin to take on the countenance of my Father. My heart will begin to change and I will begin to love the way that he loves because the way that I love is always going to be messed up and impure. I will begin to look with his eyes rather than my eyes. 
and the opposite is also true, my eyes will also begin to burn like fire. And those that look in my eyes will see his fire inside of me because I've spent time with the king. But you have to spend time with him in order for that to be a product in our lives. Moses went up on the mount, and when he came down, the word says that his face shone. And he had to hide his face because the glory of the Lord was upon him. His face shone as of God because his countenance had been transferred onto Moses. The word says that he spoke to God as a man speaks to a man. Pinem to pinem, face to face. That speaks of intimacy. That speaks of relationship. The number one most important relationship in your life is your relationship with God. Enoch was so much with God that he had to take him up. I wonder what Enoch knew that we don't. Paul, a great man of prayer, great man of prayer, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had a relationship with God. And we'll see as we go on, he made choices and he had things that he did throughout his walk in the New Testament being led by the Holy Ghost. And that's so important. We cannot be Christians in this dispensation and be led by our emotions and our flesh only. We have to be led by the Spirit of the living God or else we will not make an impact. We will not be effective unless we are led by the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen? Okay. That's the precursor. That is the most important thing. Please do not misunderstand me. Number one most important thing. But when it comes to relationships with people, there are two sides of the story, and I'm, I'm big when it comes to perspective because I think it's important that we always look at things in perspective and in context. And I want to start this morning with Jonah, and this is really kind of a story um, that we've all heard a million times in Sunday school and in all different areas. I think most people here could probably quote the book of Jonah. But the reality, and this is where I want you guys to take a look at this this morning, is I want you to take a look at the story of Jonah from the perspective of the sailor and the captain of the boat, rather than looking at this story from the perspective of Jonah himself. Is that okay? Again, remember what I said. Sometimes you endure things in your life based off of who is in your boat rather than things that you are doing yourself. So let's take a look at this. Jonah 1. It says, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Was Jonah a man of God? Was the call of God upon Jonah's life? Did Jonah have an assignment from God to do something for the Lord? Is it fair to assume that Jonah was a Christian man? I say that because... It's important that we have that understanding going into the next part of this scripture. Because you know how many times I've heard it from the young people. Well, Pastor Mike, you don't need to worry. He's a good Christian boy.
Pastor Mike, you don't have to worry. She's a great young Christian girl. I'm going to be just fine. (laughs) Who's in your boat? Because sometimes the storm that you're going through isn't necessarily because of what you're doing, but maybe because of who's in your boat. They even might be a Christian. I believe Jonah was a Christian. Jonah was a man of God. Jonah was anointed. (laughs) He was so anointed that when he got thrown off the boat and they got rid of him, the people still got saved. All right, we'll get to it. Nineveh was about 500 miles from his current location. Tarshish, which was the direction he was going, was about 2,500 miles. It amazes me the extent that we will go to to run away from the will of God in our lives, to literally go five times the distance, to expend resources and finances and money and time to run away from what God has called us to do when the actual assignment was closer than where he was running to. I don't know if there's anybody in here this morning that's been around somebody that has put so much effort into running away from God and God's sitting there like, Do I really need to send a whale? And we spend so much time and we spend so much effort and so much money and so much all of this to go away from what God has called us and Nineveh's only 500 miles. But no, I'm going to go to the other side of the country. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. And then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, lowercase g, his God. And threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, and perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Jonah was busy sleeping. Another translation says, how can you stay asleep in this craziness? I added the craziness part. That was my translation. But how can you stay asleep? The boat is about to be broken up. Listen, the ship is going down. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a good situation. And you're downstairs sleeping? I don't know about you, but I've, I've met some people and I've had some people in my life that even when chaotic things are going on and even when, when all heck is breaking loose in their life, they've gotten so comfortable with the chaos. They've gotten so comfortable with the storm. They've got so comfortable just repeating the status quo and, and I'm going to get sober today and then tomorrow, I, you know, I'll just... And I'm going to keep dealing with the same people. And I'm going to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. And I'm not going to make any changes. And I'm just going to keep going around the mountain over and over and over again. I'm just going to be a a habitual complainer for the rest of my life. And everybody else is the problem except for me. And I can't understand why things don't get any better. Do you know some people like that? Because I, I, I do. And they get comfortable to the point that they can even rest. In that place of chaos. They're completely okay with it. Everybody else around them is in an absolute state of emergency. And it's all right. It's just rehab again. It's just the third time I've filed bankruptcy. 
talking to anybody this morning? The captain comes down and he says, what is wrong with you? Why are you sleeping? Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know who, for who, whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and they fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It's interesting to me that the unsaved have enough spiritual perception to recognize the mistake in the situation. We'll leave that one for another day. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing even more tempestuous. So they, so he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this is great tempest is because of me. He gives them the answer. Get rid of me. I am your problem. Throw me out of the boat and everything will be all right. Separate, cut ties with me, and you will be okay. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Boy, does that not sound like us. All craziness is breaking up around me, and don't worry, Pastor not Mike, I'm going to fix her. Don't worry, Pastor Mike. I'm going to make him more of a Christian man before we get married. We'll work this thing out together. Don't worry, Pastor Mike. I'm going to get this right. Now, listen, I'm not talking about your spouse. If you're married, make it work. <laughs> Amen? I'm talking about relationships. No, I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to make it out on my own. I'm going to, I'm going to fight this fight on my own. I, you know, I, everybody keeps telling me that God is the way to get clean. But no, I'm just going to 15 steps to this and 19 steps to that. And I'm just going to get clean tomorrow and then repeat the process over again. I'm just going to stay broke down and busted my whole life. I'm going to do it my way. I don't know if there's anybody in here that's ever just done it your way. All over and over and over and over again. And you have the answer. Jonah gave them the answer, and they still said, no, I'm going to do it my own way. We're going we're gonna to get through this together. And he said, just get rid of me, and all your problems will go away. See, sometimes you're in a storm, and you're caught up in drama, and you're caught up in all these different things because of those who you have around you. You are a product of who you have around you. I have a really awesome father-in-law. Love him to death. But he is as much of a redneck as it possibly gets. Old Robert is like, I mean to tell you, he is as country bumpkin as they get. He, I mean, he, you know, he cleans up good. And there's nothing wrong with being country bumpkin. There's nothing wrong with being a redneck. That's where I, that's my roots. I, I'm born and raised in Okeechobee, Florida. It's the second most redneck country or county in the country. You go there, you'd think it was a different country. All right. You see some stuff out there. But I got to spend some time with my father-in-law over this Thanksgiving break, and I want to let you know, when I moved to Vero, my vernacular and the way I carried myself began to change a little. Got a little more sophisticated in my suit jacket. 
I began to talk a little bit different. But it didn't take me long getting around my father-in-law, and all of a sudden, them old y'alls and yeahs came out. We was watching Bonanza and Gunsmoke and just having a good old time. There ain't no bucks, man. No bucks in these woods, man. Maybe you don't get it, but I, I recognize it in my life. It didn't take me very long, and, and I wasn't caught up in no sin. But I began to act a little bit more like him. Why? Because I'm a product of who I surround myself with. If I spend a lot of time with Pastor Alex, there will be South African slang and slurs that will begin to come out of my mouth. Yadman, go get the bootkey, man. You know, like it will just, it will flow. It just happens. And it's not because I'm trying to imitate them. It's just because when you spend time with somebody, you begin to take on the characteristics of that individual. And young people, sometimes they, they don't understand why they go through the drama that they go through. And you're like, just kick the Jonah out of the boat. You, you, you've been grounded 17 times for Snapchat. Get rid of it. Everybody okay? Don't come against social media. They'll boo you off the stage. Verse 14, therefore, they cried out to the Lord, and said, we pray, O oh Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Some of us need to learn how to cut some ties with some people for a season. And watch this, I love verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord, capital L, exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, capital L, and took vows. Yeah. Talk about a big change. But all it took was them getting rid of their Jonah in their life for a season. For a season. Okay. I've had young people come to me and tell me, you know, well, Pastor Mike, don't you know that Jesus hung out with sinners? Don't you know that he hung out with drunkards and prostitutes and all these different things? They're very clever, the young people are. They're very clever. To which I always respond, you are so right. He hung out with the drunkards and the prostitutes, but I want to let you know if you read the Bible, he wasn't in the bar getting drunk with the drunkards and he wasn't at the brothel. I say that to say this, if you're not strong enough to stand on your two own two feet and be an influencer and instead you're being influenced, it's about time you start kicking some Jonas out of your boat. You got to get rid of the Jonah for just a season, just a season, so that you can stand on your own two feet. And instead of being influenced, you can become an influencer so that when you walk into the bar, you begin to shed the light that they need to see, that you're the only Jesus that they may ever begin to encounter. You may be the only Bible that that drunkard ever gets to read. But what is your witness if you're in there doing shots with him? Somebody say amen. Come on, we got to be different. We got a people that seeks after holiness. We got to be a people that is desperate. 
desperate to follow the word of the Lord holy. I don't want to be an ineffective Christian. Even worse, I don't want to be a hypocritical Christian. We've seen too much of that. Sometimes we got to get rid of some Jonas. You are a product of what you surround yourself with. Now that's the that's the ugly side of it, if you will. But there's a positive side of this as well. See, there are people that come into your life that can cause a storm, but there's also people that God will put into your life to save you from a storm. And even when you get yourself into the storm, because you're around them, there's certain things that can be applied into your life because of that relationship. Again, we're talking about relationships. How many of you know if I want to become a billionaire, a millionaire, we'll say a millionaire, if I want to become the next millionaire, I need to surround myself with a bunch of broke down, busted, bankrupt people that don't know how to manage their own finances. It's not gonna work. Any person who manages money will tell you if you wanna become a millionaire, you need to surround yourself with financial advisors and millionaires and billionaires who know how to handle money. Let's take it a different aspect. I'm, I'm not preaching on money today. Take a deep breath, it's just an example. If I wanna be the best carpenter in the world, I don't need to surround myself with electricians who know nothing about cutting wood. I need to surround myself with people who are very good at what they do. If I want to become very anointed and know this word inside and out, it doesn't do me any good to surround myself and put people in my corner that don't carry an anointing that don't know how to access the presence of God, that don't know how to study the word and get into the word. I need to find people that are smarter than me, who are more anointed than me, who have a better knowledge of the word than me, and I need to get around them. Why? Because you are what you surround yourself with. And it seems so simple. I know, it's a practical message. But it's a reality. Okay, let's, let's take a look at Acts 27. Just remember, always stay teachable and trainable. You know, if I, if I want the anointing and the mantle, the prophetic mantle that is on our pastor here at Oceans, I ask you, do you think it would be passed down? or if it would be transferred at all, if I got real haughty and prideful and decided I knew it all better and I knew how to preach better and, 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 I, and I got out of a posture of being trainable, it ain't happening. It's not gonna happen. You need to make sure that you stay in a posture of humility, being, staying, trainable, learning how to accept defeat and understand you're, when you're wrong, you're wrong. <laughs> I know it hurts our pride a little bit, but that's the only way to get better. You only got two options, to get bitter or to get better, and there ain't nothing good about being bitter. Acts 27. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. I like this. Paul says, for I perceive. I had an unction. I had a Holy Ghost feeling down in the pit of my stomach. I don't know if you know of anybody that's around you or been in your life that says, you know what, I got a bad feeling about this, Jack. I don't think this is going to turn out too well. 
We need to surround ourselves with people who have a Holy Ghost unction inside of them, who are led by the Spirit that when they feel something, they'll say something. Spiritual perception. Verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Isn't it funny that that's exactly what we do? Don't worry. I really feel deep in my spirit that hurricane's not going to come anywhere near us and we're going to be safe. Everything's going to be okay. I know it's a Cat 5 storm. I know it's, it's going to cause a lot of destruction for a lot of people, but I just feel it in my spirit. It's We're, we're going to be okay. No, 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 no. The meteorologist who never lies, he's 100% accurate all the time, says it's coming right at us. I need to go 67 cases of waters and buy all the toilet paper that Sam's has. There's no way. It's, we're not going to make it. I need to evacuate. I got... I, I, I'm not telling you to be unwise. I'm not telling you to not listen to the professionals. Please be wise, be prepared. But you can do what you want, but I know me and my household, I will always lean on an unction of the Holy Spirit long before I will a meteorologist with 100% accuracy. Come on, somebody. Do you have any idea how many fishing trips have been canceled because of that 100% accuracy of a meteorologist? who said that it was going to be rough and raining and you wake up the next day and the sun is shining and the ocean looks like a mirror or vice versa. Come on, somebody. He says, don't worry, it's going to be a great day, beautiful and sun shining in Vero Beach, and you head out the inlet and it's just like... You just get pounded the whole way offshore and the whole way home. He's not a liar. He's got it on point. If you're a meteorologist, I'm really sorry. I'm picking on you this morning. <laughs> I've had some bad, I had a bad experience. <laughs> Are you with me? I want to lean on the arm of the Lord. I want to lean on some spiritual perception. I want to hear what God has to say about a situation. Please, don't misunderstand me. Don't be unwise. If there's a cat five coming at us, be prepared. Are you with me? But I'm telling you, if I feel it and I know it in my spirit that we're going to be okay, or if a man of God that I trust says that we're going to be okay, I'm taking that to the bank because I will always lean on what God says long before what the world says. But this is just like us. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman. And as much as we'd like to point the finger and say, oh, you foul person, you, we'd have done the same thing. We would have because the facts were right in this story. And the owner of the ship then by the things spoken by Paul. What Paul was saying was very contrary to what the information coming in was. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. See, there you go. And the majority advised to set sail from there. Also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and the northwest in winter there. And when the south wind blew softly, verse 13, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called a Euroclidon. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis Sands. 
They struck sail and so were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day we threw out the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And now when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat on us. And all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. We see this played out in today's world so often. Man, I really feel an unction. I really feel like we shouldn't do this. I don't feel like we should go through with this. I don't feel like that business deal is not a good deal. I, I don't think we should go down that route. route. And all of a sudden, it just the storm blows in and everything blows up and everything's not good because we decided to lean on the arm of the world. We decided to lean on the knowledge of the world rather than an unction being led by the Holy Spirit. Maybe this hasn't happened to you, but I, I know it's certainly happened to me from time to time. What I do find interesting, though, is Paul said, I perceive this isn't going to be good. This isn't going to be bad. This is what's going to happen. And in the middle of the storm, when all the chaos was going and breaking out, not a single one of them people went to Paul and asked him for advice, even after he had already said X, Y, and Z was going to take place. He was in the ship. Oh, no, you didn't reach out to me. You should have reached out to me and given me the good news. You should have told me. You should have helped me. You should have helped me through my storm. You should have helped me out of my situation. You, you should have been there for me. Well, Paul was in the boat all along. Maybe you haven't heard that you left me. You abandoned me. You didn't help me in my time of need. No, I gave you the information that you needed, and I was there all along. You didn't pick up the phone. Is anybody else there? You haven't ever heard that? The phone goes two ways. Somebody say amen. Paul was in the bottom of the boat. He called it out from a long time ago and said, man, I perceive this isn't going to be good. We shouldn't go through this. And all heck broke loose. And they're trying to fight it carnally still. And he's in the bottom of the boat. Verse 21, but not long after, uh, but after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. There we go. There it is. Paul's a lot better of a man than me because I'd have been saying that as soon as the wind started blowing. I'd have been on the front of the boat. I mean, the first chance of a little bit of a breeze. I said, see, I told y'all, I told y'all it's coming. It ain't going to be good. I said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Paul had an assignment from God that he had to fulfill. There was a calling of God upon Paul. There was an anointing on Paul. He had a relationship with God. Do we all agree? Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, watch this. God has granted you all those who sail with you. Oh, I don't know if you're getting this or not. But some of us need to get rid of some Jonas. And some of us need to receive some Pauls back into our life. Because there are people that when you surround yourself with them, you become a little bit more like them. I don't know about you, but if Paul was still here on this earth, I would want to get to know Paul a little bit more. I would want to be around Paul. I would want to glean some information and some of that anointing that's upon his life, that supernatural protection. Can I let you know the rest of the story? We'll do the, the Mike Cornell version 
of the paraphrased version, they made it to where they was going. All of them. Fun fact, somewhere in one of the scriptures there, it says that they were going to kill the prisoners that were on the boat. And they even escaped safe. <laughs> you got to get some Pauls in your life. Please understand me. I'm not saying that you need to find a great man of God and bring him close. It's good. But for some of you, that Paul might be your you group leader. For some of you, that may be a grandma. You know, there's people that you get around that when you spend time with them and you leave their presence, people, you just feel drained. Over this little break that we were on, we, we left some people and I think the leaving was the best part of the trip. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. I love them dearly. Please don't misunderstand me. But man, it's just like they draw the life out of you. and Everything's a problem and everything's falling apart and we're never going to get out of this. And, da, 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 da. and it's just negativity and just drama, drama, drama. And you leave that place and you feel like you need to take a shower and holy water and oil and fast for 42 days. Get yourself back right with the Lord because they've just sucked every drop of anointing that was in your life out of you. But I tell you this morning that there are people that when you get around them, you leave the presence of those people and you feel refreshed, you feel rejuvenated, you feel on top of the world, rekindled, re restored. They fill you. Now please hear me. Please hear my heart this morning. I am not in any way, shape, or form condoning getting rid of a spouse, number one. That is not what I'm saying. Okay. And you can't get rid of family. You might not like them so much, but you got to love them. Amen. But sometimes we need to cut ties with that drama. Sometimes we need to cut ties with that aggravation for a season so that we can be strengthened. And we need to bring that grandma in close that when you just sit down and have a cup of coffee with her and you leave that table in the morning, man, you feel like you can take on the world. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I've got people like that in my life that when things are going rough, things aren't going so good, I can pick up the phone any day of the week and get refreshed, get rejuvenated, get restored. And I encourage you to find those people in your life. It may not be a senior pastor. It may be a grandma. It may be an uncle. It may be an aunt. It may be your parents. Young people, value your parents. Bring them Pauls in close and get rid of them Jonas. And I promise things will get better. It's a practical message, but I hope it's a message that brings hope. I hope it's a message that brings restoration. Father, this morning, in Jesus' name, 
Lord, I thank you for the Pauls that you have put and positioned in our lives. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that for many of us this morning, we would leave this place with a spirit of freedom and liberty upon our lives in Jesus' name, that we would cut out the drama, that we would cut out the mess, the circumstances, the storms, that we would recognize that sometimes, Lord, the things that we go through are because of those who we surround ourselves with. Father, our greatest desire is to be closer to you, is to know you more, Father, to be filled with your spirit on a day-to-day basis. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would always seek you first above all else. But God, help us with our relationships and those who we surround ourselves with. God, we give you the praise, we give you the honor, and we give you the glory. And everybody agreed and said, amen.